Okay, we are continuing in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter on faith. And so we've already covered <clears throat> verses uh, uh, 1 through, through, um, through 7. <clears throat> and in Hebrews chapter 11, most people get one verse, like Noah. Noah consumes uh, four chapters in the book of Genesis are about Noah and his experiences. He got one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. There's another man, Abraham, who, who's, who's going to get about, uh, uh, he'll get two verses and then Sarah, his wife, one, and then there'll be an interlude and then he'll get several more verses. He is uh, uh, really a, a big figure in, in Judaism. And remember that this passage, Hebrews chapter 11, is written to Jews. The entire book of Hebrews is written, epistle to the Hebrews is written to Jews living around Jerusalem who are thinking about going back into Judaism. They've already accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they're thinking about going back into, in, into Judaism because the, the persecution is so heavy upon them and becoming heavier. And the author of the book of Hebrews is warning them, you don't have that option. If you try to go back, you are going to die, not spiritually. Once you're a believer, you are always a believer. You are going to die physically because you're going to end up in Jerusalem. There's going to be the destruction and you're going to end up dead. He says, you don't have that option. He says, you press into the Lord. So he is taking them now through this chapter on faith. And the entire chapter, again, underscores the fact that he's speaking to Jews because he takes passages from the Old Testament and he starts speaking about these people because they know about them through their teachings. If they had not been Jews, they wouldn't know what he's talking about. But he is now talking about uh, uh, Jews. So, so we're going to learn about Abraham in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose heart architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, and even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So you see this portion, it's, it's talking about Abraham. And then there'll be an interlude, he'll talk about Abraham a little bit more. But Abraham is an amazing guy because he gets all of these passages. He gets all of these uh, uh, portions here. So he says, Abraham was called. And we're going to go look in the book of Genesis at the calling of Abraham. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And what we're going to see is that when we are called by Jesus, our life is no longer our own. The scriptures say, your life is not your own, but you've been bought, bought with a price. If you've received Jesus, you've been bought with your, a price. Our lives are no longer our own. When Abraham was called, he set out. He went out. Not knowing where he was going, God called him from Haran and told him to walk. He didn't say, you're going to go into the land of Canaan and that's where you're going to be. He just told him, go. God doesn't map out our lives for us. He doesn't. If you want God, Lord, what is your will for my life? What should I become? Where should I live? And, and you just want God to map it out? It doesn't happen that way. Things don't work that way in the Christian faith. 
what happens is he gives us little by little. He gives us small amounts and he gives us our daily bread and that which he need. He just told them to start, start moving on out. And so he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. What we're going to see is Abraham was a very wealthy man and he became wealthier, really wealthy after his, his time in Egypt. And, uh, uh, but still he dwelt in tents. People don't dwell in tents when they are wealthy. In that land, you can even see buildings that date way back thousands of years before Jesus, and they were these stone dwellings because they remain much cooler. But Abraham was often on the move, and he never had the option, he never had the luxury of having a nice stone home, though he could have afforded it. He lived way below his means. When we are called to Christ, when we are called into a relationship, often we are called to live way below our means. People say, that person got a medical degree in there. They're living on the mission field in that. Why are they doing that? They could live in a nice place. It's because they were called. It's because their lives are no longer their own. Their lives are no longer their own. And that's what we're going to see about, about Abraham. So let's, let's first turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And this is, this is pre-Abraham. And this is uh, uh, the experience where there's the Tower of, of Babel or Babel, and they, they would, the people came together and they wanted to do something. So we're going to look at this in contrast to Abraham. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed each, as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let, let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And then ultimately what came is God scattered them by scattering their words and, and coming up with, with, with uh, different languages for them, and they were scattered. But look at what they said. This is... This is the typical way that people are. In verse 3, they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used them for stone and they used tar for mortar. So everything was about them. Let us do this. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city. Let us build for ourselves. Let me build for myself my career. And a tower that will reach into heaven. Because I can, I can do this. You know, I want to be my own man. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let us make for ourselves a name. And exactly the thing that they didn't want to happen to be scattered all over the earth happened to them. They were scattered all over the earth. Now let's look at the contrast and we'll read about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So turn over just one chapter to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> and Abraham's original name was Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So look what he's doing. He calls Abram and he says, You're going to leave now your comfort zone. I'm going to call you away from your family. 
I'm going to call you away from your relatives, from your father's house, and I'm going to show you a land. So Abraham took his wife, took all that belonged to him, and his nephew Lot went along with him. And he says in verse 2, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Look at what God says. He says, I will make you a great nation, exactly what they were seeking in Genesis chapter 11. I will bless you and I will make your name great. I will make your name great, God says. You see, it's no longer about Abraham. God said, let me come into your life and I'll make your name great. You have before you your entire careers. Many of you are just starting your your lives and your education and your careers. God comes and he says, I can make your name great. Let me make your name great. He never forces that upon us because without freedom of choice, without freedom of will, love itself would be impossible. It is that I take myself and I submit to God. And God says, I will make Abram, I will make your name great. You do what I tell you and I'll make your name great. It's a whole matter of trust. Do I trust God to take care of my name? Do I trust God to take care of that which is before me? And I'll tell you, when I was your age, I was praying these same sort of things. I came to know the Lord at the age of 18. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so when I really turned my life over to the Lord, I used to pray, I used to say, Lord, you know, lead me in my career, lead me. And I would look, at at professionals in my career. And I would say, wow, what an amazing career. I'll tell you, every professional that I knew, my career has surpassed theirs. Everything that I knew. When you submit this to God, He leads you in ways that you have no understanding, you have no ability to understand. And He drops things in your life. You find yourself, all of a sudden, you know, you're holding this pot of gold. It's just, God has put this in your hand. I've seen this in my career over and over again. It is a matter of trust. Abraham believed God to step out and trust God to make his name great. You pray, Lord, you make my name great. Lord, I submit myself to you. You make my name great. You can, you can be just like the people at the Tower of Babel that just said, we're going to do this all for us and we have to do this to make our name great. Or you can say, Lord, you do this. Lord, do this in my life. If you will pray this prayer, your life will change. And it is not a one-time thing. We're going to track through Abram's life. And so then he goes on and he talks more about blessings. And then if you you look down in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. To your descendants, I will give this land. He said to Abram, to your descendants, I will give this land. Uh, okay. And what about me? <laughs> what about me? Abram never said that. He never said, what about me? He said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And he says, he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 
So there's our map from when we had studied the, the conquest of, of, uh, uh, of uh, um, Canaan, the, con- the conquest of the land of, uh, of Canaan. And so um, here, is, here is Bethel. Bethel's here. Ai is here. They're right next to each other. This is 20 miles. This is 20 miles. All right. So these two are about maybe a mile apart, if that, maybe half a mile apart. Right between those two is where he pitched his tent. And so we can even see the, the places on which he pitched his tent. And, and, uh, and he called on the name of the Lord. So, so you, you see in verse 7, he built an altar. Verse 8, he called on the name of the Lord. And this is going to be a recurring pattern. This is what I want to get at is that he called on the name of the Lord. Repeatedly, Abram was having communion with God. He was fellowshipping with the Lord. Repeatedly, he was doing that. God calls us to do this, to have fellowship with the Lord. He would build an altar to mark that time. You may write a little note in your Bible or something, the Lord was really speaking to you on a certain day. But if you will take the time to have a daily time alone with God, Things will change in your life. But you will see this pattern where Abram, it wasn't like he was walking along doing his own thing and poof, God shows up, tells him how much he's going to bless him and then God goes away and then Abram just keeps going about his life and blessings just, just dropping in. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. There is a constant communion between Abram and God. And this is what he calls us to. There are repeated blessings. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Psalm 1. Psalm 119 verse 97 through 100. Psalm 112 verse 1 and 2. Repeatedly, he tells us, meditation daily on the Word of God. If you will take your time to meditate every day on the Word of God, things will go well for you because you will have a relationship with God. And I don't know what well for you means in the sense that all of us undergo trials. But there will be a presence of God in your life. I was reading this morning, and, and I, I love to read uh, about Charles Spurgeon and what he's written. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. More than a thousand of his sermons have been recorded where they were written down because he preached in the 1800s. There was no audio recording at that time. But he is he is instructing young people, his students, how to be close to God so that they could be effective ministers in the church. And here's what he says. He says, self-indulgence has slain its thousands. Let us tremble lest we perish by the hands of that Delilah. Delilah was the one on whom Samson had, was, was lying down and she had deceived him. Many people ask me, how do you get done all that you get done in life? Well, I start my day in prayer. I start my day in prayer and in meditation on the scriptures and I wake up very early in order to be able to do that. And then with my family, when my kids were younger, the whole time, from the time they came home from the hospital to the time they graduated from high school and were gone, we would have family devotions together as a family in the mornings. And the family devotions were from 5.30 to 6 a.m. and I left my house at 6 a.m. There is discipline. People ask me, how many, how do you get so much done? Because there's many things that I don't do. Many things that many other people do, I don't do. Because I want to be disciplined with my time. I'm not going to tell you what to, what to not do. That's entirely up to you. 
because none of those are inherent, may not be inherently evil. But there's many things that we have to sacrifice. He says, self-indulgence has slain its thousands. Let us tremble lest we perish by the hands of that Delilah. Let us have every passion and habit under due restraint. If we are not masters of ourselves, we are not fit to be leaders in the church. We must put away all notion of self-importance. God will not bless the man who thinks himself great. Think about that. This is exactly what Jesus called us to. He called us to look upon ourselves differently than a person of the world would look upon themselves. We are to be different, never to think that we're so great we can settle back. He says, to glory even in the work of God, the Holy Spirit in yourselves is to tread dangerously near to self-adulation. Let another praise thee and not thine own lips and be very glad when the other has sense enough to hold his tongue. There are things that we do in life. Abram had this pattern of constantly meeting God. You want to fall into this where God takes your name and makes it great on this earth? It can be done. But there is fellowship with God. So after this experience where God comes down and God says, I'm going to bless you. And he sets up this altar. What happens? Everything then went well in Abram's life. Right? Wrong. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. So we just read verse 8. And verse 9 says, Abram journeyed on, continued toward the Negev. Where is the Negev? This is the Negev. Right down there is the Negev, the southern part of the land of Israel. Beersheba is right down there. That's where Ben-Gurion University is in, in Israel right now. So he, he spent a lot of time down there. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Lord, you led me to a land where there was going to be a famine? Thanks a lot. I mean, of all places. Why don't you lead me to a place of you know, prosperity? He obeyed God. He gets to a land and there's famine. I mean, you just said you were going to bless me. You're going to make my name great. Where is it? I'm ready. And then there's this place of famine. That's why I say, when you say, Lord, you bless me. My life is not my own. It is your life. You don't know what's going to come. There may be a famine in the land. So he goes down to Egypt. And there were experiences there in Egypt that caused him to be made very, very wealthy. Now let's turn over to Genesis chapter 13. Verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Lot was his nephew. So he had gone down into Egypt. Egypt's over here. Then he crosses back into the Negev. And and so he's back in the Negev. Verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, in gold. So Abram had a fair amount when he came down from the land of Ur, which is around over here where, where Iraq is, and he walked all the way down into this area. And so, he, he, but he became much richer in Egypt. And, and, and you can read about how that happened in a, in, a, in a really amazing way. That was back in Genesis chapter 12, but we're going to skip that because it's not apropos to our point. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, verse 2 of Genesis 13, in silver and in gold. He went on his journey from the Negev 
as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So he goes back up from the Negev. So he's down here, maybe 60 miles or 50 miles over to Bethel Ai from down here to up here. And, and uh, that's where, where he had set up that altar formally. So he goes back up there. So he's got all this silver, all this gold. You telling me I can't have a nice stone house to live in? I got to live in a tent? You know, tents get really hot compared to these stone places. And you, there's no trouble finding stone in Israel. No trouble. I mean, if, if you just close your eyes and walk, you're going to trip over stones continuously. They're all over. <clears throat> he couldn't live in a stone home. He had to live way beyond his, way below his means to the place, the altar which he had built formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So you see, again, he's calling on the name of God. There was a relationship here. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while they were dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were unable to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling then in the land. So Abram was very wealthy. His nephew was very wealthy with livestock. God was just blessing their livestock so much so that their herdsmen were arguing over, you know, whose grass is whose and whose spring is whose. So they're arguing. So what are they going to do? Abram's, you know, he's, he's the uncle. He's in charge, right? He could tell Lot, just hit the road, man. I mean, it's about me. It's about me and my livestock. You know, the Lord said he was going to bless me. What did he say about you, huh? I haven't heard him say much about you. You think Abraham, Abram was like that? Look at what happens in verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities in the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and exceedingly, wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot separated, and then he goes on. So Abram is, is, says, you know, this land here, we're having trouble. So they're standing up here and he says to Lot, this is the uncle says to the nephew, where would you like to go? You choose. Where would you like to go? So it says Lot looked around and when you're standing on these mountains, you can see plenty. And he looked down into this valley. The northern part of the Dead Sea is where Sodom and Gomorrah were. This is an extremely plush valley, even to this day. We've been down, Shereen and I have been down to Jericho, extremely plush valley there, because all this water runs down off these mountains from, from Jerusalem and, uh, and, and waters that valley. And so it's, it's, it's a really plush valley there. And uh, uh, so he looks out and he sees the very best territory, Lot does. He says, ah, I think I'll go there. You said, whatever way I go, you'll go the opposite way. I think I'll go there. 
And Abram doesn't say, whoa, 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 okay, come on. You know, look. And he says, okay, you go. You take it. You see the generosity of this. You take that, that plush area. You go ahead. You know, I've had students come to me, and you know, one student, and um, he came to me a few years ago. He says, you know, in the lab, I, I came up with this idea, and then all these other students jumped on this idea. And, and uh, you know, I don't think I'm even going to be able to develop it because it, it's really worked out well. And I told him this story about Abraham and Lot, Abram and Lot. And I said, you just let it go and you see what the Lord does. And then, so he started drifting off in another direction and something much bigger opened up for him. And all these other students were developing this other thing and he had this much grander thing. What God did through Abram, what you begin to see is you see this man of faith. He trusted that God, God so much, he didn't even have to defend what was his. He could say, just let it go. You see the heart of this man. You see the change in this man. Think about that. When you want to defend and you think, oh, this person's really taking away. That's mine. That belongs to me. How did you know the Lord gave me that? I mean, Abram could have said, you know, the Lord told me that this was all mine. And he took the most plush valley. So look in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Remember before he told Abram, I'm going to give this to your descendants. Now he says to Abram, I'm going to give this land to you and to your descendants. I mean, Abram was was keen enough to, to, to not say, hey, you're going to give this to his descendants, but, you know, what about me? You know, I'm the one living in these tents all this time, going back and forth to Egypt. His time came. He says, I'm going to give this land to you. Everywhere you look, even the land that Lot took, that's going to end up your land. You know, Abram never got that land in his lifetime. But what Abram knew is that when God made a promise And if it was not going to be fulfilled in his lifetime, God is obliged to fulfill the promise. So Abram is going to be back in that land again. And Jesus spoke about that. He spoke about how many are going to come and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God, right here in this place. Abram knew that that land would be his. And then he is... Shortly after this, he's going to define the territory. He says, as far as you can see, it's going to go from the Great Sea all the way to the Euphrates River, which is in current day Iraq. All of Jordan, all the way across what is currently Jordan. That All of that is going to be Israel's land. And I don't care what you think about Israel. That one day will be their land, but it's not going to happen until the Messianic Kingdom comes where they get all of that. What we see is exactly today what happened in the scriptures is that when they obeyed, their land expanded. When they, when they didn't obey, their land decreased. But he is going to define it for Abram, that land. And he said in verse 16, So I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length, breadth, for I will give it to you. 
And Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So Hebron, Hebron is down here. So you got Hebron. Hebron is, is down, down here. This is Jerusalem up here. So Hebron and Jerusalem are only about 18 miles apart. Very easy to drive today from Hebron to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Bethlehem is only about a couple of miles south of, of Jerusalem. It's, it's like a, I don't know, a 15-minute drive, even going through the checkpoints. Uh, Shireen and I were just there a few weeks ago. Uh, um, had lunch with a family there in Bethlehem. And Hebron's just south of that. That's where, where Abraham is buried and many of the patriarchs are buried. And you can go see their, their burial area today. It, it is there. And... Uh, um, and so this is where he, he, he hung out there. The Oaks of Mamre are right here near Hebron. So that, that, that's where he was going. But you see the life of Abram. This is a life of a man of faith. This guy captured so much of the, of, of the epistle to the Hebrews because of his faith. Look at his character. So what has God called us to? Let's, let's close off with these couple of verses. Look in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at, at verse 25. Luke 14.25 Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. Look at what Jesus calls us to. You think Abraham was called, Abram was called to something? We are called to something. This is Jesus' call. He says, If anyone does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do you see the discipline he calls us to? You know, the Lord knows I'm tired. I need my sleep in the morning. You know, I need my sleep. You know, it's all about me and my sleep. Well, how about if I discipline my life such that I can get to bed at a reasonable hour so that I can get up and spend time with the Lord? It's no longer all about me. And then you will find when you start having children that you have to get up earlier because you got to get up before them. Because once they get up, there's you know, just, just hard to do anything else but, but, but focus in on them. This is what he calls us to. He says, it is not about anything else. This whole thing, you have to hate his own father and mother, wife and children. You know, the, the biggest hindrance to Christian missions, in my opinion, is Christian parents. The biggest hindrance. Because they're the ones that want to protect their kids from going into Christian missions. You know, let somebody else's kids do that. I want you to live right here near me, where I can see my grandchildren and have that relationship with them. Because it's really all about me. I want you to be safe. I want my grandchildren to be around me because it's all about me. And so I remember I would have always have my, my children's pictures on the wall. Right after my prayer time, I would look up and I would say, Lord, I pray that I would never stand in your way of where you're going to bring them. Never let me stand in your way. He says, if you don't hate your children in relation to your love for me, then you're not worthy of me. It's not about your life anymore. He says, you can't be my disciple. If you want to walk with Jesus, he calls the same thing of you. There's a discipline and a relationship that he calls us to. And this is the characteristic of the man of faith. Let's pray.
Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for Your grace, Your grace upon these young people, that they would take Your Word, and as Abram did, Father, when You called him, were so many steps again and again he followed You. And so many steps of stepping into the unknown, living way below his means, wandering like a nomad through that land. You never gave him a a place to, to really reside. Father, I pray for these young people that it wouldn't be about themselves anymore, but they would allow you to make their names great. And Father, I pray that you would do that to the degree that they submit this to you. Father, take hold of their lives, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.